official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton, joined by my co-host, Alex Varallo. This is Jet Nation Radio. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. How are you doing tonight, Alex? I'm doing well, Glenn, and good evening, Jet Nation. All right, so we are uh, obviously excited because minicamp is here. It's only a, only a few days long, but it's an opportunity for the Jets to to move forward in installing their new systems on both offense and defense, and we'll uh, we'll follow all the snippets, all the news, all the rumblings that come out from those who are there, at, you know, at camp, and and giving their accounts of of what's going on. So of course we will cover that today. We will cover Adam Gase meeting with the media. I didn't say a whole lot, but uh, a couple of interesting nuggets. He mentioned some injuries. Uh, Marcus May is Marcus May and Quinn and Williams are going to sit this one out. We're going to be not not fully sitting out. They're going to be limited participants in camp. And uh, Gase also commented on the the GM situation, which for those of you who've been keeping up, the team has wrapped up their interviews. They, when all was said and done, they interviewed four candidates: Scott Fitterer, uh, who's working with the Seahawks; Terry Fontenot with the Saints. Joe Douglas, the heavy favorite, who's currently working with the Eagles, and then Champ Kelly, who they interviewed most recently with the Chicago Bears. Now, Adam Gase did say today that the team, you know, the most important thing was that they get it right. Not not that they hire someone quickly, but they that they hire someone, uh, just get the right guy. He said that that was a decision that would be made by Chris Johnson, if I were a betting man, I would bet that Chris Johnson's going to decide to hire whoever Adam Gase tells him he would like to most or who he would most like to work with. I will discuss a possible trade or two that we think could happen uh, as training camp gets closer. And I will go over a few things. We're going to throw a few topics out and see if uh, Alex and I agree or disagree. He's going to throw out a few Kind of sort of predictions or things to keep an eye on and see if we're on the same page on a few things. And then as the 2017 draft class prepares to enter their third pro season, a lot of misses in that group already. We know that for sure. But uh, as as conventional wisdom seems to be that the Jets or that, you know, any team should give their any draft class three full seasons before grading that draft. And so we'll take a look at that class as as they get ready for their third season and um, whether or not we think they'll, you know, they'll be long-term hits. Obviously there are the obvious, obviously they're the obvious. Yeah. That that's a bit repetitive, but the, obviously there are guys who, who we know, you know, Adams and may, how we feel about them. Then there are the guys who are gone. Uh, then there are a few fringe guys, a few bubble players who have some, you know, still have some upside, but haven't had a chance to play a whole lot. So that'll cover, uh, that's everything we'll go over today. But Alex, my friend, how you doing? And what were your thoughts? Uh, any any blurbs 
from the media that jumped out at you today um, as you saw the Jets beat and and others, non-Jets writers, because when you have Le'Veon Bell, the the crowd at camp increases. So, but but what jumped out at you today? What what were you most happy to see? Uh, definitely very happy that number twenty-six Le'Veon Bell was in the house. Uh, there was a lot of energy, it seemed like, on the field. Just hearing from uh, the guys on the beat, um, it was a full. Uh, house today, uh, according to a couple of the uh, media guys. I think it was either uh, Rich Semini said everyone's here to see 26. So obviously this guy's a big deal. And it was very cool to see uh, just the the chemistry that that's being developed. Hearing uh, about Robbie Anderson catching deep balls and Sam Darnold throwing lasers across the field, and you know guys are looking pretty good thus far. We know it's only seven and seven and eleven on eleven drills at this point, but it, it's definitely, you know, one week closer to. I think there was a post this weekend that said we are fourteen Sundays away, so that's doesn't seem like too many. So we're getting close, uh, but I, I'm really really happy to to see that uh, our big free agent signing Bell, uh, you know, addressed the media today, uh, talked a little bit about some of the rumors that have been going on uh, about his relationship with Gase, uh, how, you know, they're, they talk almost every day. And uh, there was another tidbit that I saw is that Ty Montgomery has been a really, really good asset for Bell as he's been down in Florida. He's been communicating with him a lot about the offense, keeping him, you know, in the know. So that was very cool to, to see that stuff uh, coming through Twitter today. Yeah, it's always nice to see when uh when players are, you know, especially guys who are, you know, teammates entering year one as teammates together, um, you know, doing their part to make sure that guys who aren't there, you know, as we know, Le'Veon Bell didn't go to the voluntary portion, stayed in Florida to work out, which has been his routine for a while now. You know, people had mixed feelings about that, but that's, you know, that is what it is. But I think the, the thing that, that I was happy to see, you know, nothing, you know, I mean, none of these are huge stories. It's, uh, it's, you know, some mini camp blurbs, a lot of this stuff at the end of the day, you know, when the dust settles will not mean a whole lot of anything, especially when you're talking about the, the mid lower tier guys, but uh, Deontay Burnett's name popped up as a guy who caught a couple touchdowns today, running with the two said he was having a really good practice. And this is a guy that, you know, uh, how many times did we say last year, you know, when I say we, I mean Jets fans collectively, how many times did we say, why isn't this guy getting more playing time? Why aren't we seeing more Deontay Burnett? It just, I mean, it was just, what the hell was Todd Bowles doing? I mean, here you are trying to develop a a young quarterback and, and, you know, you go out and you add a guy who has some chemistry and history with him. And Jermaine curse is, is having a, a stinker every year. And you just you don't let Deontay Burnett play. It just didn't make any sense. So it was nice to see that he was out there getting some run and playing well and playing well without Darnold, the quarterback. Um, as I said, he, they apparently had a couple touchdown grabs playing with the twos. So it would be nice because listen, as much as we talk about you know Quincy and Robbie and Herndon and and you know the Crowder, the the weapons they have for Darnold to work with you would like to see one or two more guys step up and, and start making plays. And 
improve the depth of the position. You know, kind of it, it's stating the obvious, but really, I think I I overlook it myself a little bit because I am so happy with the group they have. You know, we've talked about the versatility. We've talked about being able to attack at all levels with, you know, they have deep threats. They have guys who can run the intermediate stuff. They have, you know, with, with Le'Veon Bell coming out of the backfield, Chris Herndon running short intermediate stuff. They basically, they have guys who can make plays all over the field. So, you know, guys like Deontay Burnett don't get talked about all that much. So, you know, nice to see him get, uh, get off to a fast start at camp and open some eyes because again, the, you know, all all these holdover. I mean, everybody's a holdover now because you know they fired the GM right after the draft. So um, there's nobody in the building with loyalty to a lot of these guys. And Deontay Burnett's another guy who it's gonna you know just like everybody else really is gonna have to prove themselves all over again uh, in terms of just being able to stick with the 53 to begin with and then to go from there. So it's uh it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see who steps up and who doesn't. But um, speaking of guys stepping up, not stepping up, really not being able to step up, uh, Marcus May being limited, I believe they said he was going to be limited to seven-on-sevens, if I'm not mistaken. Quinnen Williams was going to get light work because of a calf injury. And Marcus May, they did, I believe it was still just the shoulder. They're just taking it easy with him. Uh, Tom Compton and Neil Sterling were held out uh, with undisclosed injuries. Teams are not required to report injuries. Um, at this point in the season in the off season program, but good move or no, Alex. I mean, it is, it, it's kind of a no brainer that you want to keep these guys healthy as much as you want to see may and Williams. You want to see that, you know, you want to see these young guys getting these reps, although may may not be as, as luck as young as most third year guys, but the approach they're taking um, and holding these guys out, it's a good move, but, if if you're the head coach, how much do you want to? How much? How important is it to get these guys on the field and and get them comfortable with their teammates? And again, in the case of Williams with his new teammates, and in the case of everybody uh, running a new scheme. Yeah, I think it's you know very important that they take the right approach going through this um, initial OTA process. Yeah, you don't want to have any setbacks this early. Uh, this is just more or less the time in which this is where the guys have to start working on that chemistry uh, and the communication, uh, the terminology. Uh, those are the more important things than it is about getting in shape. You know, these guys are all paid professionals, so, you know, their work never stops. Uh, it's not just always at Florham Park. These guys have to, you know, take care of their bodies and eat right and, stick to a good workout program and, 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 and do thing in dose in small doses so that you don't push your body too far because, you know, not everybody has the same regiment. Not everybody has the same recovery time, everyone's bodies and, you know, genetics are different. So it, it's very good uh, that the jets are taking uh, a logical approach, um, especially with a player like May who seems to always find himself with, you know, some sort of, you know, nick, either an ankle or a shoulder or, you know, last year he broke his thumb. So he always seems to be working for something, and, and he's a very, very important player for this team. And, you know, we need him to be in, in this process for 16 games this year. That, that should definitely be the focus for this team. We know that the Jets have a good 
training uh, room and their, their guys are just excellent professionals and they, they do whatever it takes to, to keep their players healthy and, and get them on the field. I always think about Calvin Beecham's ankle from last year and how it was kind of questionable whether or not if he was going to be able to be available week one and he never missed a game. So they definitely have a good understanding of how to keep their players, you know, healthy. And, and speaking of uh, stepping up, you know, we have to have a plan and we have to get other players acclimated in the event that something does happen to Marcus May, because we saw what happened last year and they kind of rotated a few guys. So it's very important that our free safety uh, is healthy going in to week one. And what's interesting is I had a conversation with a fan today that was at the uh, mini camp and that was Robert. And thank you, Robert, for uh, communicating with me today. Um, he's at gangrene five, eight, zero. And one of the things he talked to me about was that Brian Poole and Derek Jones were getting some action with the ones and they were playing outside corners. So it's really interesting to see how Greg Williams is already trying to figure out, you know, is this guy, is he comfortable in my system playing outside or is he going to be better in, in the zone or safety role, you know, in regards to Brian Poole and will Derek Jones have what it takes to solidify himself in this roster. So I was definitely excited to hear about these uh, younger guys in our defensive back group getting more time with the ones. Yeah, I will say with that, though, in all honesty, the the negative side of that is they kind of they don't have a lot of choice. I mean, they, they they're they're so barren there. And I I still don't understand. I just tweeted out while while I was listening to you because it, I, I've been saying it for a while now. But the more the more time goes on, I, I don't get why you haven't called Mo Claiborne yet and brought him back in, because. As, you know, as much as I've I've heard fans, you know, maybe I I think things have gotten bad enough that fans have eased up a little bit, but he wasn't bad last year. I mean, he he was he played all right, and right now, even though I'm high on Derek Jones, and I you know I like what what Perry Nickerson, I like his skill set. I, I there's not enough established talent at the position to just sit there. Uh, you know, with your with your arms folded, while Mo Claiborne is sitting there as a guy who can come in and and give you you know a solid veteran corner, especially you know given the fact that Tremaine Johnson played the way he did last year, you know you could make the case that uh, that Mo Claiborne was better than True Johnson last year. So, and he's probably at this point, given the fact that he's been on the market for this long, he's probably get cheap. You know, maybe you got to make that which is bizarre because, again, I, I don't think he was, you know, you can't tell me he's not better than than a few teams' second cornerback. You know, the the 64 starting corners in the NFL, Mo Claiborne's better than some of them, you know. Um, was one of the top corners in the league last year, if I'm not mistaken, and passes defended, which, which, of course, means teams are testing him, so teams think they can beat him. But uh, but he obviously made some plays on the ball. And again, I'm not putting the guy in the Hall of Fame, but uh, I don't understand why, given the depth the Jets have or the lack thereof, that he hasn't been brought in for some competition. Maybe that's something Mike McCagnan would have done if he was still hanging around. 
because sometimes GMs will wait till after the draft to make those sort of those veteran additions, similar to what just happened with Indomitian Sue. But Claiborne's still out there. As far as I know, unless he signed in the last couple of days and I missed that blurb, he's still out there. And the Jets could still use some competition at the spot. But we'll, you know, we'll see what happens there. And, uh, and whoever the new GM is, you know, we, I mentioned it a few minutes ago at the top. You've got the four guys who interviews. You've got Fitterer, Fontenot, Douglas, and Kelly. You've got Adam Gay saying, you know, again, Adam Gay saying that Chris Johnson is going to hire the best guy, but he's going to hire the guy that Gase is, is comfortable with. But based on what you're seeing, or I should say what you're reading, looking at these teams, looking at the way front offices have, have built with these guys as members of the front office, who, who do you think, I mean, are, are you fully on board? Are you 100% behind the, the, the idea of bringing in Joe Douglas? I know for me personally, Douglas would be my first choice, followed by Fontenot, and then Kelly and Fitterer. Uh, you know, looking at what I've seen and what I've been reading, what uh, what are your thoughts on that? I I do think that he may be the best candidate because of every and I'm clearly just going with what I've heard and what I've read uh, about their relationship is is pretty strong. Uh, I heard two different views on that where. One is it's a there's a big difference to you know being good friends with somebody and then being good friends with somebody and being in business because sometimes that can change your relationship. Uh, so that's an interesting aspect of it. And you know, will it be a good uh, fit or could it be something that ends up you know not working out? You know, it's like you know, going to college with your, your best friend from high school, and then you go there and then you realize you can't stand, you know, who you're living with. <laughs> so that would be interesting to see if, if it would be a match made in heaven or if it would end up, you know, turning out going uh, downwards. But then you have to think with all the other situations where the head coach came in first and then the GM, history will show you that the GM – more than likely will let go of that head coach because it wasn't his decision. He, he absorbed him and then he would want to go out and build his front office through the way he sees it with his mindset. You know, he wants a head coach that's similar with his philosophy. So it, it's very interesting to play both sides of the coin here. Uh, I do think that Joe might be the better fit just because of, you know, their relationship but it, it's definitely something that worries me because I really, really want Gase to work out and whomever the candidate is that, that comes in, hopefully it's for many years to come throughout Darnold's career because that's my, my main concern is who are the right candidates that can work with Sam and build around these, these young players that we've you know, drafted throughout the last couple seasons and, and help them all reach their ceiling. Yeah, and you make a great point, Alex, in saying that, you know, because we keep hearing a lot about the history that Adam Gase has with these guys. And I think for most most adults anyway, anyone who's held a couple jobs or, you know, worked, worked, worked in the same role for an extended period of time or in any, any given role, um, there's a good chance that you had some, that you had some buddies, some, some guys you were really good friends with, who you got along with really well at work 
you know, maybe you shared some interests, maybe, you know, you had the same sense of humor, whatever it may be. And maybe you worked really well with them. But I, I know for me, I've, I've worked great with some people. But I've also looked at some of those people and thought, I could work with this person, but I, I sure as hell couldn't work for this person. Um, because some people, you know, it, the, the, working with someone is a lot different than working for someone. And I know the power structure, which, you know, the way the jets have it laid out that they, you know, they're, they're on, on even, you know, on an even level, they both report to the owner, blah, blah, blah. But listen, that doesn't mean that a GM, you know, if he gets a word with Chris Johnson, uh, you know, one-on-one, if he's not saying, look, Chris, uh, I'd be happy to come on board. But um, if this team as currently constructed goes out and wins three or four games next year, I want to be, we need to move on from Adam Gase. You know, is a GM going to want, most GMs are going to want that power to bring in the coach they want. And just like I said, and as, as you mentioned, just because you can work well with someone doesn't mean you can work well for someone. And we've seen that. We've seen the speculation from the beat writers. Uh, the, I think it was a national writer too who brought who brought that point up. You know, is, is the incoming GM are they going to want? Are they going to avoid this job because of the power structure and not really having the ability to bring in a guy they want if things don't go well? So, like I said, it's you know, it's a it's a really fair point on your part, Alex. That you know, just because you're friends with somebody who you work with doesn't mean you get a well you get along well with somebody you work for. And in all reality, listen, I know, as I said at the top, and I believe, and you can say, um, you know, am I guessing? Yes, I'm guessing. But sometimes common sense just kind of you know you, you connect the dots and say these interviews are being conducted with Adam Gase being the only football guy in the room. I believe that's who the owner is going to, you know, defer to and say, all right, you know, who, who caught your eye? Who, who's the one, who's the guy we need to get? Um, so we'll see who it is. You know, you know, Chris Johnson will say he made the hire. Adam Gates will say Chris Johnson made the hire, which will be fa- true. But, you know, that hire will is likely being made based on the recommendation from Adam Gates. But whoever it may be, whoever comes in as the GM, uh, this roster again is is far better than the one the captain inherited when he took over. There are nearly as many holes, but w- where there are holes, um, one interesting tidbit that came out today of Detroit, the Jets, as you know, as I was just saying, have a huge need at corner, and now Detroit Lions standout corner Darius Slay is skipping their team, his team's mandatory um, minicamp because he's holding out and wants a new deal. And he's got two years remaining on his current deal. So my question to you, Alex, if you're the Jets, if you're that new GM and you walk in the door and you want to make it clear right away to the owner and the coach and the fan base that you're in this thing to win, do you go out and you trade for a guy like Slay, knowing that he's going to command huge money, knowing I mean, you're, uh, unless you're willing to eat $13 million on Tremaine Johnson next season, a $13 million cap hit, unless you're willing to do that, you've got Tremaine Johnson for the next three years. Or I'm sorry, you can cut him in the third year. from. So you're stuck with him on the field for the next two, and then you can cut him before that third year. Um, with that being the case, do you go out and maybe give up some picks 
and a bunch of money for a guy like Darius Slay. Yeah, I saw the post yesterday, and a few fans on Twitter said, go go out, go grab this guy. And it's just funny because I wonder if people have looked at the numbers and if they see the big picture here because this is a guy that's looking for more money. Um, he's currently under a $50 million contract, and he's got almost $29 million coming his way in the next two years. That is a lot of money to throw out to a player that's going to be 28 this year and 29 next year. And what kind of capital are you going to have to give to acquire a player like that? It's going to have to be a premium pick. So that means that it, let's say it's just a second round, hypothetically, you're willing to trade a potential 20 to 22 year old prospect with a premium pick to get a 28 going on 29 year old corner. Now, according to, uh, over the cap, he is ranked uh, for his position 13th. Now, that's somebody that's on the cusp of being top 10 in their position, so you are getting a premium player, but what is he going to do when he comes here? Is he going to hold out and demand more money from us? I look at our cap for next season, and we're going to be around $46 million going into next year. Now, we have some players that we're going to be talking about later on in the show that are going to be getting close to their end of rookie contracts and are going to be looking for those big deals and extending them to long-term jets. Are we willing to sacrifice some of the in-house younger players to rent a player for two or three years that's going to be near 30? We've done a few moves like this in the past, and we know the names, Cromartie and Revis and we, we brought in Tremaine Johnson, who was 27, I believe, at the time when we acquired him. So we do know, we have experience watching aging corners that were considered in high regard. This could be a very good move for us, and it could solidify our defense and put us in that conversation of top 10 defense of this year going into you know September. But at what, at what cost? Is that too much? for this team to take on at this point in time. I'm a little leery about it. I don't know if I'd pull the trigger. I definitely think he's a great player. But for me, I, I see too many things that could hurt us in the long term. What do you think, Glenn? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, if they, deal, if they make a deal from them, they're going to have a contract in place. I mean, he obviously, wherever he plays, he wants a new deal. So you don't trade for him without having a deal hammered out. However... The fact that he's already due $28 million, it's not like he's making bad money. You know, it's not like you look at it and go, oh, this guy's, you know, he is the player he is, but he's he's being paid, you know, he, he's the, the 48th highest paid corner. You know, that's not the case. He's due, like you said, he's due $28 million over the next two years. So I look at him and I feel like he's adequately compensated for what he brings. And the fact he's holding out, I mean, it's unlikely he's holding out because he wants another $500,000. You know what I mean? He's probably wanting to get, you know, in the $18 million range, $17, 18000000 And that's a lot of money for a guy who is that age. Um, the Jets, you know, could the Jets do it given their cap situation? As you mentioned, um, per overthecap.com, next year the Jets are due to have $46 million in cap space. Now that number is a little bit misleading. Um, you know, of course, cuts will be made as they are. Every offseason, um, you know, the Jets, the Jets have some guys next year, Alex, you know, after this season, 
you know, there's one party who goes, well, they can let a bunch of guys go, and not even a bunch, they can let a few guys go, where they would save a lot of money. But you also don't want that to be the case. Like you look at, uh, and again, this is all per overthecap.com. Uh, check out overthecap.com for all of your uh, your salary cap questions. Um, uh, you know, you look at a a guy like Kalichos Mali. He's due to make 11.7 million, and that's all. That all comes off the cap if he doesn't play well and you let him go. It's like, well, great, 11.7 million, but then you're creating another hole on the roster. So you're hoping that he plays well enough that maybe you you know you give him a new deal, even restructure that, maybe bring that number down a little bit by adding some years to his deal. You know, Brian Winters is another guy who I, I think he will be a guy who gets let go next year. The Jets would save $7.5 million with zero cap hit. Darrell Roberts, if he doesn't play well this year, he's a $6 million savings with zero cap hit. So there are some decent, you know, sized contracts guys they could let go of that would create, you know, another 20 plus million in cap space. I don't think it would happen, but Avery Williamson is another guy who jumps out when you look at his savings. You get a $2 million hit, but you're saving 6.5 if uh if you move on from him. So there are some guys, there are some deals that if if players don't play well, you can move on. But again, you you don't want to see that happen with a bunch of guys cuz that means you have four or five guys who just aren't playing well. Uh, the Brian Winters thing, I just I expect that to happen. And uh, you know, as I've said, I don't, I don't think his job is as safe as as some people seem to think. You know, for this year, he I mean, I don't think he not saying he won't win the starting job. I just don't think that it's the the lock that a lot of people think it is. So, uh, but with that in mind, the Darius Lay thing, uh, we're going to talk about some other trade or free agency possibilities, or or just a scenario. As I said at the top, we're going to. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a few comments and Alex is going to uh he's going to agree or disagree with me. And and I may not even agree with him. I'm I'm just throwing out a few things that either thoughts I've had, you know, questions bouncing around in my head where I'm not even sure where I stand on it, you know, or it changes day to day, I should say. But uh the first one w- would involve making a move, making a transaction. And uh so agree or disagree, Alex. The Jets should make it, you know, the new GM when he comes in, we've already talked about the cornerback position, but the new Jets GM, once he gets in place, should make a trade to replace Jonathan Harrison and get himself a more established center. Are you with me, Alex? Hello? Oh, sorry about that, Glenn. Looks like I somehow got myself on mute. Apologies. Uh, So I'm going to go with disagree on this one. And the reason being is that I am very confident with how, uh, you know, just hearing conversation from Coleccio Assembly. He had a great interview on Bleacher Report a couple weeks ago, and he had given some insight about how, how focused, and driven he is. I, I think Harrison has, you know, I don't know if he's really doing this, you know, put up, put up an article, uh, you know, put up a tweet and framed it about people that were doubting uh, him going into this uh, starting role and that he doesn't have what it takes. I think he's going to carry a big chip on his shoulder. And even if they do bring in some competition for him, I have a strong feeling that Harrison's going to beat him out. 
And I think that he is going to be the sleeper of this offensive line to emerge and, and, and perform at a, at a level that has been slightly higher than what we've seen. I'm not talking Pro Bowl. I'm not talking any of that in this conversation here. I'm just saying that I think he's going to keep this offensive line honest due to the fact that he's got a Pro Bowl guy on his left. Uh, we have a veteran on his right. And we, we've we got some really, really nice uh, moving pieces at the tight end position to, to help in pass protection in the run game. So I, I, I would not uh, agree if the new GM came in right away and traded somebody for for a center at this point. Now, I don't know what the trade would be, so if they did do that, maybe my mind would change, but at the moment, I think I would sit put. Yeah, I think that's the case as well. You know, I, you know, you can say that you, you're not looking to make a trade at any spot, but obviously, if, you know, if a great deal presents itself, you make it. But I think I don't think the Jets need to be as aggressive as, as some feel at the position. As I, I think I said a few weeks ago that, you know, Harrison, while he, he hasn't been great, he, he did play his best football uh, when he was playing more consistently with the Colts a few years back. And then this past season, he played, you know, he played all right. He wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. And uh, the offense didn't sputter with him in there. I don't think, you know, the way people talk about him, you would kind of envision a player who, you know, is completely unable to to get out of his own way on the field. I mean, and again, it, it kind of goes back to what I've said in the past, how too many fans have this mindset of you're either an all pro or you're you don't belong in the league. Like uh, to a lot of people, there's no in between. And Jonathan Harrison, like 98 percent of the league falls somewhere in between. You know, somewhere in between All-Pro and worst player in the NFL, um, he's better than some, not as good as others, but he's not a guy that you look at and think, oh, God, this is Wesley Johnson all over again. Or even to a degree, you know, last year, Spencer Long, um, who, you know, moved on to Bo. I'm curious to see how Spencer Long does um, in a different system because I expected much better of him last year uh, based on what I saw of him with the Redskins when the Jets added him. So, um but yeah, I I feel like unless an incredible deal presented itself, I don't think the Jets are going to look to make a move. I know that you know there are some teams who drafted some some centers in the mid you know early mid rounds where you may you may give those teams a call and and see what backup or who even who their starter was previously. Are they looking to move somebody? But I don't think it's as dire as others as others seem to think. Uh, you know, as I said a few weeks ago, I think that Harrison did good enough work with the Colts and good enough work with the Jets that you can give him a shot this season and look to find his replacement at some point. Um, and again, maybe let John Toth compete. And I'm, none of us have seen seen him at all at this level, so we'll see how that goes. But in terms of the the next topic, I'm going to throw out there, and we're gonna, it's going to stay on the offensive line, and another one where I'm I kind of go back and forth. But um, Chuma Chuma Adoga rookie out of USC played right tackle in college projects by, you know, according to a lot of people as a, a future left tackle in the NFL, we, you know, we saw a couple, a couple different sources uh, had his pro comp as being Kelvin Beecham, oddly enough. So possibly a future left tackle, but has reportedly been working at right tackle so far with the team. Will he at some point in this season, I mean, it could be week one, uh, but 
you know, could and it could not happen at all. But if you had to guess, at some point this season, does Chuma Doga take Brandon Shell's starting job at right tackle? Um, I can't see it. And I know I, I'm probably sounding like a Debbie Downer. Uh, I'm going to disagree with this one. I, I don't think he's going to beat him out unless if something happens uh, with that knee that Brandon Shell had surgery on this past offseason. Uh, as th- thus far from what I've heard and what I've read is that Shell has uh, started out slow with the voluntary uh, camp that they've had, and and now he is working with the ones, and he is um, plugged in at this point, and it's his job to lose. So I think if he stays healthy, uh, I, I do believe that he has what it takes, but there is that knee, so you you could be onto something here, Glenn. And you know we all know that things happen, freak things happen all the time, and possibly Adoga was a big reason why he was drafted because they know that Beecham's on the last year of his contract, and it's a little questionable of the health with Shell. So you might as well get a tackle in house now that you can develop for a year or possibly bring in mid-season in the event something happens to one of our guys on the outside. Yeah, with with moves like this, I I'm I'm always a fan of you know with these with these guys that that can play tackle that you think they can play tackle and they may just need some seasoning. I I do I often like the idea of bringing them in, letting them compete on the inside early on and then let them make the adjustment to the outside of tackle. Adoga's a guy that I I kind of early on, you know, when they drafted him and, and even still, I mean, you know, having a few practices at right tackle, you know, doesn't far as from cements anybody anywhere. But I thought maybe you give him a look at guard, you know, whether it's I thought between him and Compton and Braden that one of those guys would push Brian Winters out. So that's even a possibility. But given the fact that, again, uh, it, it, it's not contradictory, but, you know, of course, Mike McCagnan ran this draft, um, as far as we know. So, you know, there's the part of me that says, well, Adam Gase has no loyalty to Brandon Shell. Well, if, if Adam Gase was as invisible during the draft as he tried to be, he has no loyalty to Chuma Doga either. Uh, these are all guys McCagnan brought in, and, and he doesn't, you know, he may not have wanted any of these guys for all we know. So he may not have a preference, but I think Adoga, I think this team needs a guy I like Shell. I think he's a good player. I have no issue if the Jets retain him. But I think they need a guy who can do – who's a better all-around player. I feel like Shell's a nice pass blocker, but he's not nasty enough in the run game. And I think Adoga is is a bit a bit more – has a bit more of that mean streak um, as a guy who can, who can do both those things, you know, pass block and run block. He does need to get stronger, but I, I could see him at some point – I think the reason I'm going to say no on this, actually, is, you know, is it impossible? No. But I think because of the, uh, because Brandon Shell has shown he can play the position at, you know, at this level and his age and he's young enough, I think Adoga is more likely to push a guy like Winters at right guard if they kick him inside. But um, put it this way, it's one worth keeping an eye on because the younger player who's, you know, more well-rounded in Adoga I think could I think he could steal that job, I'll, but if you know, gun to my head right now, I'm going to say no. Um, but we, you know, we'll see in time. 
But the, and, uh, and I'm sure that that Shell is aware of this too. You know, like uh, Emery Hunt said last week in in the interview that we had with him. Uh, these guys look at these players. You know, when someone is picked in your position group, they look them up and they tend to see. You know, who do I have behind me that could jeopardize my job? And I'm sure that this puts a fire under Shell. You know, he knows that he's on his uh, end of his rookie deal. And he's going to be looking for an extension. Uh, you know, hopefully, if everything works out for him, we can get a team-friendly deal. And if Adoga's development goes well and he can play on the left side, we don't really have much to, to do next year for next offseason on the offensive line as far as the tackles are concerned. So Adoga is definitely an important piece, and I'm sure that he's driving a, a player like Shell to make sure that He's in um, good standards. Um, and if I, if I can uh, step in here, um, I had something that I thought was interesting here. And what do you think about Le'Veon Bell's total yards for this season? Do you think that he could exceed 1,800 yards in total? No, not, 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 not a chance. Um, this, this run blocking, even though they should be better, it's just not what he had in Pittsburgh. I don't think I don't think eighteen hundred is realistic, unless he sees a whole hell of a lot more action through the air. Um, I think you know I, I still think he'll put up big numbers. I think I think he would top out at fifteen hundred for the year, which is you know which there's nothing wrong with that. And again, it, you know depending on how creative Adam Gase gets, I mean he, he may have you watch the guy run routes and you just you forget that he's as good as a lot of receivers. So mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, split him out wide more than Pittsburgh did and target him through the air more, and, and you know, as we've said, you know, with the guys you're going to have on the outside, with, with Robbie and Quincy, those guys can open things up a little bit. You know, Herndon in the middle is a guy teams are going to have to account for. So I think Le'Veon Bell has a huge year, but I can't see him, you know, just being objective here. I can't see him being as productive as he was in Pittsburgh where, while going to a an, an offensive line that just does not run block as well as the Steelers do, Even, you know he'll be fired up. He's gonna have something to prove. I get all that, but I just I don't see 1,800 yards um, this season for Le'Veon. I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope he puts up you know 2,000 yards, but uh, but I I just don't see it. Do you, do you think that's a distinct possibility? And and again, I'm not, I'm not saying he's you know I'm not gonna say he's gonna finish, you know. 800 yards short. I think he's going to come two or 300 yards short of that. What do you think? Well, uh, I, I think that 1,800 yards should be his – I know a lot of players say they don't like to set goals for themselves, but I think 1,800 is the solid number that he would want to work with this year. Uh, just looking at just his averages um, and what he's done in the past uh, – I believe he's got one of the highest yards per game average at 129 yards per game. Now, if you were to project that number, 129 every game for over 16 games, you'd be looking at 2,064 yards. So I don't think he's going to break 2,000 yards this year, but I think he's going to end up somewhere close between that 1,800 to 1,850 range this year. And, that's only, you know, averaging around 80 yards a game and about 40 yards passing a game. So you figure out a way to get him four or five receptions a game, and an 80 yards should not be that hard for a player of his talent. So 
I'm 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 shooting for the moon here, and I would love to see him exceed those numbers. But I think 1800 would be a solid base number for him to try to obtain. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely what he'll have in his sights. But I don't know if uh, I don't know if this Jets O line is right. You know, if if Osmeley returns to all pro form and and Harrison plays, you know, even fairly well, I, I still think that's a, a tough a tough ask because as much as I often say that. Kelvin Beecham's an underrated player. He just both their tackles, like you know, both their tackles are are below average run blockers. And Brian Winters, you could kind of say the same. Now, you know, Osmaley and 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 Harrison, that may not be the case with them, but I just, I don't see them having the the horses up front to help that happen. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he can, you know, where other backs can't succeed. I hope Le'Veon Bell's able to, you know, make something out of nothing. Uh, when plays do break down, when the blocking isn't there, but that's a lot to ask a guy to just consistently make big plays when when the blocking's not there. Now, if Adoga does win that right tackle job, and he's a little bit more of a road grader, which I I just don't see at this point because he's not strong enough. But hey, NFL weight program, and uh, you know maybe even by week five or six he takes over that job, and now you have three guys who can run block. You know now we're on to something, but I just don't see any running back uh, flourishing. With with the run blockers this team has, um, and you know we'll, we'll see, but it's it's not something I see in the cards. But the the next one I wanted to cover, agree or disagree. Last year's sixth round picks, the Jets the Jets picked three players in round six last year: uh, Fuller runs of Fadakasi, Perry Nickerson, and Trenton Cannon. All three of those guys will make the roster this year. Agree or disagree? Ooh. I'm going to disagree here. I think two out of the three are going to stick. Uh, I think the odd man out is uh, Fatukasi. And the only reason why I, I'm saying that is because there is a, as you had mentioned before, there's too many unknowns in the uh, defensive back room, or at least at the cornerback position. So I think Nickerson's going to stick around because they do value him. I, I've heard some rumors that he's been worked in um, in the nickel area, even though when he was in college, I think he came from Tulane, uh, he, he never played nickel. He always played outside. So this is something different for him. Um, I, I think that's where they would like to see him, you know, end up being at one day. And we all know that uh, players – that get a little bit older, um, you know, that usually when they have an injury, it takes a little bit more time for them to come back to the field. Uh, Tremaine Johnson is already working through an issue right now. I don't know specifically what that is. So I think you, you can't cut a guy like that without giving him more snaps or, you know, just getting him out there in, in particular packages and see how he does. Uh, I also think Cannon has a good shot of uh, making this roster because, he, he's one of the fastest guys on the field as far as a gunner in special teams and a possible return man. Uh, when you have a, a, a rookie contract that, that he's on, which is basically pennies at this point, I don't think that you just let a guy like that go. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Trenton Cannon, uh, let's see here what his salary cap is at. This guy's at six hundred thousand dollars with a two point five nine million dollar contract. I, 
I think it's just too value. His contract is just too aggressive just to let a guy like that walk. And with that speed that he's shown, it's just you can't coach speed. You, you can try to build up your speed and, and work on it, but that's something that's just God-given talent. And I don't think you just let a player like that walk, especially if you're going to be using guys like Montgomery and Le'Veon Bell more in a receiving role, as we are assuming. That only leads McGuire and Cannon as as the possible two, three, if something happens with either Bell or Montgomery. So I think four backs are going to stick, and I think Cannon's definitely going to be one of them. And my guess would be that Fasakasi will have to play his tail off and really prove himself to Greg Williams in order to stick on the 53. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say Fadukasi doesn't make it. Nickerson makes it and Cannon it's going to come down to I mean, we're going to find out Trenton Cannon what they do with him is going to give us a good idea as to how much this team values special teams play. Because I thought he was an excellent gunner. If if he can if he can show better hands as a return guy, I think he's a lock to make the roster. But I think if we see him flub a couple of punts again like we did last preseason, I think he's going to have a harder time sticking. I hope he sticks because I've said I've said a few times he's a guy to me who's worth working with for a year or two, and he can do enough things well enough that it, it's not as if he'll just be dead weight on the roster. Again, did a really nice job as a gunner as the season progressed last year, and if he can start returning kicks and punts, then he's a guy that I, I don't see how you let him go because he does you know his speed is absolutely electric. Um, so I'm going to say the only guy I'm going to say is a lock to stick is Nickerson. Fadukasi, I think goes because they, you know, they, I think they, they like what they have on the D line. And I liked what Fadukasi did. I, you know, maybe see him as a practice squad guy. Uh, you know, guy's clearly a really strong kid, but out of a small school. So he's going to need some time and we'll see if their jets are willing to give him that. And the last one I want to touch on, because I keep talking about how much I like the weapons. And I'm I'm trying to decide for myself, you know, what's what's the ceiling for this season? You look at what Ryan Tannehill was able to do under Adam Gase in his first year. And he threw, I think, you know, 24, 27 touchdowns, something like that, uh, which isn't a bad number. But if we as Jets fans, if the expectation is that Sam Darnold is going to be a better player than Ryan Tannehill, and he has the weapons he has at his disposal this season. Is Sam Darnold, I mean, is it is it crazy to say Sam Darnold can come out this year and throw 30-plus touchdown passes? Or is that, just, is that just way off the mark? Sam Darnold will throw 30 touchdown passes this season. Agree or disagree? Oof. I think that's a real tall order for a young man that, you know, is still – working his way through the, the NFL rigors. Uh, there was a lot of good things that we saw at the end of last year um, in, in the last four weeks of football. 30, I believe, is where you get towards that, not essentially elite, but if you were to make a lever, level of, you know, below average, average, good, and then elite, I think that 30-plus is somewhere above good but just below the elite mark and 
with the running game that, that I believe that we're going to have, I think that that's going to hurt his numbers. I can totally see him flirting with around 25 touchdowns this year. I, I think 25 is def- definitely possible. Uh, if he hits 30, then we know that, that he's destined for a magical year. Uh, I would think that he comes up just short this year, 30 touchdowns. I'm going to, I'm going to say he throws 30 plus this year. I just, I think, go. Um, yeah, I, you know, I can't, I, I, it would be somewhat <laughs> hypocritical of me to spend this entire off season just gushing about all these weapons they've added on offense and how Sam Darnold is, you know, they finally have a franchise quarterback and then, and then turn around and say, but he's not Because look, 30 touchdowns. I think the reason why 30 touchdowns sounds like so much to Jets fans is because they've only ever had one guy do it. Um, and that's uh, that, that's pretty terrible. You know, you look at a guy like Jared Goff. Look at Jared Goff, his first season. He, I mean, he looked terrible his rookie year. I mean, Darnold looked far and away like a better player than Jared Goff did in year one. And then Jared Goff comes out in year two, and he throws 28 touchdowns. And, you know, obviously he has, you know, he had a guy like Todd Gurley in the backfield to to keep things up, to keep defenses honest. But now the Jets have Le'Veon Bell. I, th- I think Very Bell's true. presence changes so much for what this team can do. And this, this all, this of course too, is, is if we see, if this is another year where Inunua misses a, a bunch of time and, uh, and if Robbie Anderson gets in trouble sometime between now and the season starting and gets himself a, a multi-game suspension, I'll probably dial that back a little bit, but look, you know, when we're making these predictions, uh, I'm just assuming, you know, best case in terms of health for these guys, because, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he's right in that range, but I'm I'm gonna say he he finishes with 32, 33 touchdown passes. So we'll see, time will tell, and we'll uh, wow. Now we that are, brings we, up a question in my mind now that that you brought that up. I think we can both agree that Robbie Anderson will have the most reception touchdowns out of this wide receiver group this year. But who's agreed. gonna be the number two? Would you who, who would you put your money on? Would it be Crowder or Quincy Hunwa? I'm going to say right now, I think it's Crowder. As I was just going to say I, I love Quincy, but I just think Crowder's quickness underneath and his ability to get open, uh, you know, so, so he, he's just he's very sudden, very quick. I think he's a guy who uh, I think he's going to find a way to make plays, and I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to agree. I almost I almost don't like saying that because I've been singing Quincy's praises for so long and I've been dying to see him play a full year with a competent quarterback and that could happen this season. But, um, you know what? I'm, I'm going with Quincy. I'm, I'm hoping it's close. I I hope they battle it out, but I'm just, I'm, you know what it is, Alex, as I'm talking, I'm, I I have this Quincy and highlight reel in my head. And the number of times we see him run people over, run through people, run past people, he can do it all, and I just feel like in the right offense, he, he can be a guy who makes huge plays with the ball in his hand. And you know, when you talk about getting down inside the ten, the five yard line, and having a having a you know break through a couple tackles, I like Quincy Nunez's ability to do that um, better. So I'm I'm going to stick with my guy Quincy. And hey, let, let's hope they just go back and forth, and they they each score. You know, they they take turns scoring one or two every week, 
and just put up video game numbers. You know, it's it's uh, they're both just really good players. Now, if we're going to factor in health and if we have to predict who's likely to miss time and therefore mm. hurt their production, then you got to say Crowder probably does. But it, it, if all things, if everybody stays healthy, I'm going to say Quincy puts up bigger numbers. I think that's the real key factor too. Uh, talking to a lot of my buddies uh, just from my local network and, and they just really seem to think that the health is the biggest factor. And, and from just conversations that we have, uh, they're not as confident in the wide receiver group uh, just because of Anun was uh, injury history and Crowder's injury history. And both of them have, you know, a small laundry list of, of you know, issues here and there. So uh, everything is predicated on their health. And that is what we have to hope for is that these guys can keep their themselves on the field for all 16 games. And that's why, you know, maybe it, it might be important for the Jets to keep a good eye on these training camps as they go through the summer to see where other guys may emerge. And maybe we might be able to find another gem or two uh, when guys get waived because you just never know what's going to happen when we go through this process. Yeah. And, you know, like we've said, some of these guys, the Deontay Burnett's, Greg Dorch, guys like that, if they, yeah. you know, if they find a way to stick. So, you know, that's, that's why uh, a lot of people say these camps are, you know, a lot, not a lot gets done. There's not a lot of purpose to it, but as I've said, I know we, we, we both said it, this is where guys get a chance to stand out and shine and, and catch a coach's eye. Maybe a coach sees a guy do a few things. It makes him say, I'm, I'm going to watch this guy a little bit closer during the next round of OTAs. And then he stands out again. Okay. I'm going to, you know, this guy's moving up my list here, you know, at least in my, you know, in my mind, let's see what he does in camp. And if guys keep performing, you know, fans can say camp and all this stuff doesn't matter. And preseason games don't matter. That's it may not matter to the, uh, you know, the, the average fan sitting at home, which is waiting for the, the regular season games to kick off. But this is where guys can start making a name for themselves. And uh, like I said, we heard Deontay Burnett today and we'll hear more names as the process goes on. Some of them will pan out. Some of them won't, but uh, we're going to, we're going to hold off on the, previewing of the year three the 2017 draft class because uh we've rambled on a bit more than i expected alex so we've uh we're down to uh we've only got about a minute and a half left so we'll we'll wrap this thing up now and that'll good be one of the things we'll cover tonight. next week what's that alex uh good conversations as usual yeah absolutely absolutely um we're, we're like i said we're right about a minute so next week, that'll be one of the topics we'll cover. We'll go over the 2017 class. Um, obviously, enough of those guys have been cut. We know they didn't work out. But it's more the fringe guys. It's, it's the Maguires, you know, Maguire, Clark, um, Derek Jones. Those are the guys we'll be focusing on. And, you know, Adams and May and how, how people feel about May because of the fact that he missed time last year. Uh, you know, I've said before, people kind of talk about him now like he's never played more than three games in a season. Um, but only a few seconds left. Alex, go ahead and give out your Twitter handle, and we will sign this thing off. Uh, Jets fans, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. Thanks for stopping by. All right, Jets fans, that's going to wrap things up for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to you tuning in again next week. Take care. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!